Well, I bet that knocked your socks off then, Drake Otdara's listeners. As you can imagine, that music heralds a very, very special episode, which is our Jubilee special. Now, I want to go and find somebody who was involved in the Silver Jubilee. And behold, we have a gentleman in the village called Barry Rose. He's a chorister master and he's also an organist he plays the organ here at St Peter's Church which I've just arrived at on a beautiful sunny morning and Barry is internationally acclaimed and I knew he was going to be up here this morning rehearsing so I'm just going to go into the church and see if he'll just give me a few minutes of his time so he can talk a little bit about all the things that he's done here we go oops steady Jackie dog I'm with my guide dog Jackie she likes the church Oh no, a handle. Don't do well with handles. Ah, St Peter's Church, Draycott, so lovely. I feel like I'm getting married all over again. There he is. I'm just about to trip over the altar. I'm just going to go up. There he is. I'm just calling out. Barry! I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wondered if there's any chance I could grab you for a few minutes to talk about your eclectic career and also your participation in the Silver Jubilee because the reason I'm here with my guide dog dragging me up the aisle is Draycott Daris are doing a special episode for Jubilee. And of course I found out that you participated in the Silver Jubilee. So can I tear you away from your rehearsal just for a few minutes? Yes, it doesn't matter at all. I can't play it anyway. Come and sit down when you've got a minute. Barry, I'm so sorry to have grabbed you. I hope I didn't give you a shock then. Uh, no, no, no. I'm used to people coming in the church. Oh, it's so fantastic to be sitting with you. And thank you so much for being a contributor on Draycott Diaries. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. You've been top of our list for many, many, many years now. So it's lovely. Actually, I'm rather glad I didn't do you right at the beginning because I think we've learned a lot. So it's really nice to be sitting with you now. 50 Three episodes on, I think. So Congratulations, we've, we've done yeah. Excellent. Yeah, enormous man. Yeah. Barry, you're very well known in the village. How long have you lived in the village? 25 years this year. Ah, longer than me. Yeah. I will get you to, to reintroduce yourself, but I see you as an internationally acclaimed choral master, composer and organist. Um, yes, I suppose so. <laughs> I don't know, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you describe yourself as? A jobbing musician, really. I, I, someone who makes music uh, and was lucky enough to make music his living. Well, you're very much more than that, as, as we know. And we're going to be talking later about some of the exciting services that you've not only participated in, but been very much in steering them but let's go back because everybody who knows you in the village knows you're jolly famous and knows that that you have this extraordinary history behind you but I want to go back to the nuts and bolts and find out about the Barry Rose who started I mean where did you train how did you learn music right from the very start I was born in Chingford which is a suburb of East London and I went to Sunday school as you did in those days and I fell in love with a pianist who was a very pretty girl, and that started my interest in hymns, I think, probably. And somebody came along, and I'd done the piano with the lady, local lady, and somebody came along and said, would you like to play hymns in a local church? It's a mission church, a corrugated iron mission church, and it's only got what they call a harmonium. 
now harmoniums and organ, where you pedal to make oh, the, okay. uh, the air. So you have to pedal away like mad, and then hopefully the sound comes out. Uh, the priest down there used to call it the pandemonium, in fact. Are you, you going to play the pandemonium today? But I played that harmonium for nearly 10 years, uh, Sunday by Sunday, which is where I learned how to play hymns in such a way that a congregation actually wants to sing. Um, it's an art in itself, um, hymn playing. I'm sure. And was it right that you also went along to the local cinema as well and borrowed their organ? Uh, yes. Some, uh, I had a friend who was a projectionist at the local cinema, and he said that we've got an organ there, and, and, and it's never used. So I, was, I spoke to the owner of the cinema. He said, well, you can come and practice on a Saturday morning. And he was a brilliant organist. And so he played to me and demonstrated how. And then I had a go on it. And gradually I played the old weeknight, you know, you come up from the floor with the motor driving Oh, you did, like a Wurlitzer at Blackpool. Yeah, 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 yes. And you, and you play into the To Barry film. Rose. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. <laughs> and was that, the organ that you played for the cinema, was that what we would, us lay people would know as a sort of Wurlitzer type, all singing, dancing, yeah, bright lights? Yeah, with all the instruments on it, you know, xylophone and glockenspiels and, and train whistles and... Uh, cowbells and all sorts of things on it. You, uh, you had to know how to work it, and drums and all that sort of thing. I mean, I wasn't very good at it, but he was the owner of the cinema. I was brilliant at it. But fantastic experience. Yeah, yeah, and it was the lighter side of music, which has always been part of me. And what was your job at that time? Because you weren't a jobbing musician, as you called yourself very, very unnobly. What, what, what was your job at the time? I left school at 16, and my father said, you get yourself a proper job you know, in my music, um, go into a bank or an insurance. So I worked in the insurance office, at the head office of WH Smith & Son, and I worked there for about six, seven years, and then I transferred to Joseph Frank Limited. I was their assistant insurance manager. Joseph Frank is Rank, Hovis McDougall, you know, the flour millers. So there I was, you know, as an insurance manager. And were you enjoying it? Yes, I mean, it, it was a steady job and it gave me a wage. Yeah. Um, but I was still making music and I was, uh, I'd been singing in a choir. I was organist then of a church in North London. And one day I just decided I'd give it all up. I was rather forced into doing that. I'd given an organ recital at a city church and I got back rather late from lunch and my boss looked at me rather sternly. He said, look, Rose, he said, you ought to make up your mind. Is it going to be insurance or music? And in a fit of pique, I just said music, which is not a good thing to do when you have no prospects and no qualifications. I'm still unqualified as a musician. I don't even have grade one on the piano. So if you've taken any grades, you are far more qualified musically. You, do, you haven't even got grade one? Nope don't have any grades at all. Wow. I have all the things they give me, the fellowships and doctorates and things like that later on, but nope, nothing. So tell us about the transition, because it was quite a big transition. I think there was a bit of a luck along the way as well. Didn't you have somebody come and see you play or something? But it, tell us about the transition to the, to the learning of music really big time. Well, I was running a choir in North London, a church in Kingsbury, which is near Wembley, and the music critic of the Sunday Times happened to come to a service, and he heard me play. And he caught hold of me after and he said, you need some proper organ lessons. So, which is rather dispiriting, really, when you play the organ. <laughs> he said, the man for you is at the Royal Academy of Music. You've got to go there and get him to teach you. But, I mean, I didn't have the qualifications to get in the Royal Academy because you need grade eight. Um, but I wrote to the Royal Academy, and believe it or not, the principal gave me an audition. 
Um, he, was a, he had been a cathedral organist, so perhaps he could see something for the future. And he took me in, and I managed to learn the organ for a couple of years. And it was while I was there that the big chance happened. Which was what? Well, I was doing a BBC recording in our local church in Kingsbury, and my flatmate had got the Daily Telegraph. And when we got home, he threw it down on the sofa, and he said, here, have you seen this? This was an advert for, to be organist of the new Guildford Cathedral, which was to be consecrated the next year. Oh. And I hadn't seen it. I never bought a paper. And he said, you should, you should apply for it. So I had a go at it, and believe it or not, I got the job. Just go back a step. You had an audition for the Royal Academy of Music. Yes. You got in with no qualifications at all. You did incredibly well. <laughs> I didn't do well. I didn't pass the exams there. Well, no, but they saw something in you, didn't they, yes. that they knew you had it, yes. whatever yes. it is, you had it. Yeah. So how many years were you at the music college? Only two. Only two. two years. Okay. I, I, was, I think they were about to throw me out, to be honest, when I got the Guildford job, but instead they gave me the prize. Yes. So they could put my name on the board. So Guildford Cathedral was at that time. What's the date here? Nineteen sixty. Nineteen sixty was when I got the job. That's right. And I had been down there, strangely enough, with a friend who was learning to drive, and he wanted me to sit in on his car. And we ended up in Guildford, and we walked round the completed bit of the cathedral. And I turned to him and said, "One day, some lucky bloke is going to be organist here," but never dreaming it would be me. And, of course, it was not finished until well into the 1960s, but it was consecrated in 1961, which was my very first big royal occasion with the Queen there and Prince Philip and Princess Margaret and Anthony Armstrong Jones. And the organ that you were playing in there, had that been specially selected? Did you have any dealings with the selection of the organ? Uh, No, I didn't, strangely enough. Um, the, The provost who appointed me against all the musical advice, I may say, that he had... He had found someone to donate an organ to the cathedral. It had come from a chapel up in Yorkshire, and it was enlarged greatly. But, I mean, it wasn't originally intended for Guildford Cathedral, but it's a very fine organ, and it's still there, still playing beautifully. Now we move on to an even... Is that possible to be in a a bigger job? But tell us where you went next, because I think it's a place that we all will recognise and be very proud of. Well, Guildford Choir got quite famous. I mean, I was there for 14 years and we built up quite a good choir. And we also had a, a contract, believe it or not, with EMI, who came to hear the choir one day at Evensong and said, we want you to record for us. And we made best-selling records for EMI, so we even sold a million copies of one of our records at Christmas carols at Guildford Cathedral and sold all those copies for them. So there was, the choir was well-known. And I had an invitation to go to St Paul's Cathedral in London. And it was an invitation, although it was informal. Somebody had come to hear the choir at Evensong. Um, in fact, my colleague, the organist at St Paul's, had come. And he rang me up the same night and virtually offered me the job. And it was very useful because by then I was working for the BBC. The BBC had also offered me a job, so-called part-time, but I suspect... With your experience of the music, you know that part-time equals more <laughs> There's than no full, such thing as part-time. More than full-time. You know. <laughs> so there I was commuting up to London on three or four yeah. days a week and trying to rush back and do the choir at Guildford, mm. and it was beginning to take its toll a little. So we thought it would be a very good idea to move to London. So we moved to St Paul's in 1974. Wow. And now that's a big job. 
uh, it's a big job and it's a big upheaval for the family because I had to take my, my wife, who I met at Guildford and who I married in Guildford Cathedral, and then two very young children as well to live in the centre of the city of London, mm. right next to the old Bailey. No. Oh, well, that's useful if anybody gets into trouble. <laughs> oh, yeah. We should see them hauling them in the back door from our kitchen window. <laughs> so, Barry, there's so much about St Paul's. I mean, obviously, there is a whole series to be done just on your work at St Paul's alone. We won't, sadly, have the time to do that, but we can always come back another time. I'd like to know about two specific occasions that sit in my memory that I know that you were very much involved in, both the choral side and also the organ. And that was, and let's start with this because it's an ideal connection for our special Jubilee programme that we're doing today. The Silver Jubilee at St Paul's, yep. that was you. That was me, uh, 1977. The Queen came regularly to St Paul's um, for other services, but this was my first state royal occasion. And it's a seminal moment for me because I was about to formally take over the choir of St Paul's Cathedral. I'd gone there to play the organ, really, um, and get away from running a choir. But in the end, I was persuaded to run the choir. So I half played the organ in the service. I played them for half of the service, and then I conducted the choir for the other half of the service. And, of course, these things are planned months and months and months before, and right down to the last minute. You know, you have all this sort of ceremonial, you know, 11, 18, so, so, so-and-so will arrive at 11, 21, so-and-so. Yes, I saw the schedule. You and, and, of course, on those occasions, the choir has to go in very early and sit there. And you spend your time worrying, you know, if any of the boys want to go to the loo? <laughs> Things like that. I would. Yes, yes. <laughs> It's, it's always a problem. But it was a great occasion, and, and I was also commissioned to write a piece for it as well. I say commissioned, ordered, really. I was ordered to write a setting of Psalm 121, which is one of the better-known psalms. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. And all was going well until we had a phone call from, I think it was the Lord Chamberlain's office one night, saying, um, uh, Buckingham Palace would like to see your setting of, of, of Psalm 121. This is a few weeks before the Jubilee. But there was one slight problem, because I actually hadn't written it. By then. <laughs> so, so you hadn't done your homework, Barry. No, I hadn't done my homework. I had thought about it, you know, how composers... Yes, well, that was my excuse. I'm thinking about it, you see. So I sent Buffy, I said to Buffy, take the children out now, you know, take yeah. them to the nearest park and leave me alone for an hour. And an hour later, it was all written. And it, wow. was, it was sung at the service. And I often worked that better that way. you running backwards and forwards, doing a bit of conducting, you know, playing the organ. But just going to the rehearsals, I mean, you mentioned Buffy there. Now, obviously, people in the village know Buffy very well. She's a talented artist and your wife, and she lives in Draycott. You had met, I know, at Guildford for various story. That's how, that's how you both met. Now, 
Is it true that she did a special role for you in the preparation for the Silver Jubilee? Oh, yes. You, you have to have everything just right, everything. The Queen doesn't come to rehearsals. That's the first thing you learn. And I had the job of playing the Queen from the west door of St Paul's, the great west door, up to the front of the dome, by which time the first hymn had to start, just like that. And I'm not a very good improviser. Improvisation is... Uh, making up music around something. I mean, I'm all right, I can, I can do it in any service, but I wasn't going to trust myself on that great occasion. So I got a friend to write a piece of music for me, a special piece. He called it Jubilee Piece. And it was very grand, very regal. But it had various sections in it that I could discard. So I dragged Buffy into the cathedral for a couple of nights and she walked up and down the nave while I at the organ worked out... Well, playing the Queen. Yes, yes, playing the Queen. Yes, she stood in for the Queen. Yes, up and down the nave at St Paul's until we worked out exactly how it worked. I mean, you don't quite know how fast the Queen will walk, but... No, but I reckon Buffy probably got it absolutely right. Yes, yes, yes. But... There's something I was was thinking, well, well, I was worrying about it, to be quite honest, is that how does it work? Because the Queen's opposite you and you've got to look at the choir and isn't there some rule that you you, you can't turn your back on the Queen too? You you mustn't turn your back. This is one exception where you are allowed to direct the choir because if I, if I let them sing across, the sound would not go out into St Paul's Cathedral. So standing this end of them, the west end of them, they can sing to me and the sound goes past me and to the congregation of, what, 2,000, 2,500, something like that. So they have to be heard down there. So, yes, you are allowed to do that. Uh, You're the only person that's allowed uh, to I was, On that day, I was the only person allowed to have my back right. to the Queen. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> I don't know what she thought of it. <laughs> I'm sure she loved it. No, she's so great. Now... The, I guess the probably the service most people would have remember and want to know about the sort of the insides outs was of course you did Charles and Diana's wedding, the oh. royal wedding at St Paul's. Please, will you remind me of the date? Uh, yes, twenty ninth of July, nineteen eighty one. Wow! And it was three days after we finished for the summer term. In those days, the summer term ran right up to the end of July. So we did the whole of the services. And then on Monday, we started to think seriously about the wedding. Because is that right? You didn't have a huge amount of warning. I didn't think they got it right. I was sitting at home. uh, It was February, I think, and having lunch with Buffy. And we listened to the one o'clock news. And the headlines were that Prince Charles was to be married and he was to be married in St Paul's Cathedral. I nearly choked. Absolutely. Did you spit out your baked beans? Yeah, I did, because St Paul's is not the place for royal weddings. Westminster Abbey is the place for royal weddings. But no, he had decided on St Paul's. And I think that might have been something to do with his grandmother, because uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, was patron of the Friends of St Paul's and was a regular visitor there. And she might have said, you know, this is a much more open space. Mm. The problem with Westminster Abbey is it's divided halfway up and without television screens in the nave, you don't see any of the action beyond the organ screen, whereas St Paul's is wide open. That may have been the reason, we don't know, but it was, okay. I was told it was going to take place. And from then on, that day, our lives were not our own, I can tell you. The world's press descended on St Paul's that afternoon. I mean, they came everywhere. They followed us, you know, to the vestry. They came into rehearsal and filmed us rehearsing for even song. They even followed us to the loo. Wherever we went, they followed and took pictures. 
Yeah. This is the choir that's going to make the music on the, on the great day. Wow, wow. What a, what a privilege and an honour, you know, that... Uh, what a hassle, too. And what a hassle. I was trying to do the right thing, Mary. No, it is a privilege. It yeah. was a privilege. Now, the bit that made me giggles when we were talking about it, of course, I wanted all to know all about the rehearsal and all that sort of stuff, but the thing that really made me giggle is the preparation of yourself and the choir in the more personal area. Tell us about that. Well... I mean, we have to, uh, those occasions you have to not only dot your I's a little better and cross your T's. I mean, not that we didn't do that every day, because we, we did what we did every day. Mm. But appearance is, we need to appear a little more neatly than usual. So our hair needs to be done a little better, you know, things like that. And Vidal Sassoon sent a team of people. Well, uh, Vidal Sassoon himself. Uh, well, I don't know whether he came himself, but there was a whole team of people to style our hair. We all turned up in the cathedral um, <laughs> the day before and the choir school, and he did the chorister's hair, and he did my hair, and, and, yeah. and, and set it and all the rest of it. So I couldn't sleep the night before, of course. Did you say that he put set in it? Uh, you know, they put spray. some stuff on it, yes, so it stays in the right place. And it's never but moved you can't, since. But you can't, but you can't lie down. <laughs> no. Well, welcome to my world. Tell us, though, about the service itself, because, as you said, everything everything has to go like clockwork to the second. I mean, you showed me the running order, and, you know, as you know, I've worked in telly as well, and, my goodness me, they hit every second, yes. Oh, yes. And which is extraordinary. I mean, it makes me shudder with fear. But you were very enthusiastic with your conducting on the day because obviously you were probably a little bit nervous and you certainly were loving the day. What happened? I think well, you actually no, no. got the papers, didn't it? Well, there was, the, the problem was that on these occasions, whereas I usually stood in the centre between the choir stalls, um, you don't on roller case. You stand to one side so that they can see through you. They don't want to... They're already having to look at your back, which is bad enough, so I just stayed on one side. And we had a piece specially written for us by a man called William Mathias. He was Welsh, and because of the Prince of Wales, the connection, so he wanted a Welsh composer. And it was quite an animated piece, and I got over-animated in one spot, and I did a gesture like that, and the lampshade nearest me, in front of the nearest chorister, went flying through the air and was caught behind neatly by one of the clergy. <laughs> so just caught and put Perfect. It Six. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's the thing people remember about the Royal Wedding, rather than the great occasion that it was. That's 700 million people around the world. 700 million. 700 million saw you knock the lampshade. I'm afraid so. And every time we talk about the didn't you knock the lampshade off? But I also conducted the choir and wrote a bit of music for it. Yeah. Oh, I mind. love it. I just love that because that's just so what would happen to me. Now, obviously, all of these subjects are, are huge, but I want to sort of move on a little bit now to, to the more kind of modern side of music. Everybody assumes that a church or a cathedral organist, you know, is very serious, always and always plays, you know, deep and meaningful music. Now, you have a great eclectic love of music. It's not just church music. I know you're a keen member of the church, and, and I understand that. But you've done some interesting projects with people like Paul McCartney, is that right? Uh, yes, yes, I have, yes. We, at St Paul's, we did several of these things. But I'd started that at, when I was at Guildford. We did a lovely record with the late Peter Skellen, who did a thing called Hymn Song, and we went up to some studio in Wembley and we recorded this heavenly choir over him singing, accompanying himself on the piano. And then when I was at St Paul's, 
the, the phone calls started coming in. Can you come and do this bit of backing for so-and-so? Or can you, come, can you find a boy to sing this? There was a thing by Jeffrey Bergen. Uh, there was a, a television series called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which starred Alec Guinness. And the composer got on to me and said, can you find a chorister to come to sing the signature tune at the end, which was the Nunc Dimittis. It's a very famous piece. It got in the one and Ivan the Bello Award, even. Then we had The Snowman. Um, yes, I'd love to talk to you a bit more about Snowman. Um, just going back a little bit onto, I mean, for example, I think you did The Frog Walls, didn't you? Uh, the Frog Song. Rupert and the Frog Song we did. Frog song. Uh, we had to be frogs. The boys had to pretend That's to be frogs. That's right. They had to be frogs. We all went to Air Studios um, one evening, just in Oxford Street, which is, was above... Uh, born in Hollingsworth, I think it was, or somewhere yeah. there. And Paul McCartney was there, uh, George Martin was there, you know, and, and the orchestra and all this. And Paul conducted the choir uh, and the King Singers, and I conducted the orchestra. And between us, we got the thing done. Wow. The great man himself. Oh, yes, he, he was very, uh, very amiable to work with, yeah. very normal. I mean, I, I, my son, Tim, uh, who's now 50, 51, was a chorister at... St John's College, Cambridge, and came down and did a film with Paul McCartney called Give My Regards to Broad Street. Oh, yeah. And Tim is the ghostly voice of Eleanor Rigby in that. And it was very lovely. Paul was very lovely to him, you know. Yeah. Thank, I wrote him a note at the end saying, thanks, Tim, you know, yeah. Paul. Oh, we like that. Bit of casual. Yeah, oh, bit yeah. Of casual. The Snowman. I want to pick your brains about The Snowman because it's a great love of mine. Now, we all immediately think, uh, Christmas, we immediately think Alid Jones. Now, this is not the full truth, is it? No, no. I think the film first came out in 1982. It was Channel 4, wasn't it? And uh, Howard Blake, the composer, rang me up and said, could I come and see you? I've written this piece. It's, it's for a television film. You, you never know if these things are going to take off, of course. You just do it and, and, you know, and then it's, it's gone, so to speak. And he said, I've already recorded it, but I'm not really happy with the treble soloist. And it wasn't Alan, of course. Alan did it much later. And he said, could I come listen to one of your trebles? So we found him the treble we thought was suitable. And it was all in manuscript. It was not published or anything, just a bit of manuscript paper. And he said, that's lovely. Can you come and record it in a studio in Warder Street? So we went off to Warder Street. Um, and, of course, the orchestra had already been laid down, so it was a case of singing to headphones, which is not always easy. But the boy who sang that, um, yes, it, it was called Peter Orty, A-U-T-Y. How old was he at the time? He was, he was 12. Wow. Uh, and when it came to making a single of the thing, because it was so popular, mm. his voice had gone, so he couldn't oh. make it. And that's when Alan stepped in uh-huh. and did it, because Alan's voice didn't break till he was about 15 or 16. OK. And that's how it all started? Yes. But, I mean, for a small boy of 12 to be in a massive so recording situation like that and wearing headphones and singing to a track, that's, that's a big ask, isn't it? They were very used to St Paul's choruses. I'd take them off to some studio on a Saturday evening and we'd do a, a backing to God only knows what I'd be without, you know, the, the Beach Boys. Is that the Beach Boys song? It is, isn't it, I think. We, we did some Christmas singles. We did all sorts of things. So they were very used to They did their own big version of My Way. We did part of it in the cathedral and part of it in the studio. And that got a gold disc within six weeks. It is. Yes. It's the cathedral has the gold disc. That's amazing. We are in the here and now. It's 2022. We are about to go into the Platinum Jubilee. Mm -hmm. What 
will that mean to you, having been so involved with the Silver Jubilee, and, and what will you be involved in particularly? Well, the th first thing to say is I know what they're going through at St Paul's at the moment, because the Queen is due to be in, uh, in St Paul's for her Jubilee service, always at the same time, by the way, always at 11.30am, and always seems to be on a Friday. I don't know why. And this is around, of course, her official birthday. And so I know exactly what they're, they're doing. I don't know exactly what they're singing. Um, there is a part of me that, that vainly, no, no, vaguely, hopes they might use my Psalm 121 as written. But I don't know whether I should be writing will. in if they don't. No, no, <laughs> that's up to them. I know they've got some commission music for it from the Queen's Master of the Music, who actually is a lady, um, Judith Weir. And she's written a piece for, for them. But what other music they'll do, I don't know. We always used to trot out, I was glad, you know, when they said unto me the great big piece by Hubert Parry with brass and all the rest of it. And what, what else? Have I, I've no idea. I mean, I'll be looking and I'll know what they're all thinking. Um, and I used to say to the And you'll know when they've gone wrong too, won't you? Uh, they don't go wrong. It's important. Quite. But uh, I know, I used to say to the choristers that people can see what you are thinking when you are singing, when you're going to close up. It's no good looking like this round. <laughs> You've got to be right focused on the thing. Oh, it's so fantastic. And, and we have a, you know, I'll, play, I'll be playing here in church. In yes, of course we will. In the Jericot Church, which, yeah. in fact, I think people do know this anyway, but we are sitting in St Peter's Church. Thank you very much, Rev Burns. I'm recording this, which is lovely. Now, Barry, at the beginning of the programme, um, obviously I played the fanfare and yes. God Save the Queen, just as a very small clue what the programme was going to be about for the Jubilee Draycott Darius special. What I'd love, if you would be so kind, uh, would be to use one of your pieces for our going out music. I can play you a, a, a little bit of the piece that was written for me to play the Queen in at the Silver Jubilee. How about that? Is that the that he called the Jubilee piece. It was renamed later in Trada. I can play you the last section of it, and it's very grand and very regal. And you can imagine the Queen walking from, you know, slowly up the centre of St Paul's Cathedral. This is a very small organ, by the way. It's only got about eight stops, and St Paul's organ has over 100 stops. <laughs> so well, it'll is... be very regal and much appreciated. May I just thank you on behalf of Draycott Darius, Barry Rose, for thank taking you. your time to come and meet us today. And I know you're going to be playing us some wonderful music. But for all the joy that you brought to the village, because you've been, you and Buffy are very supportive to the village, the music that you bought and the art that you bought, you know, I know the village will be right behind you. And may I also wish you an absolutely fantastic Platinum Jubilee. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for asking me.
wow, what an amazing way to end our Platinum Draycott Diaries Jubilee special. Extraordinary. Barry, thank you. Just coming out. Oops, mind what a step there, Jackie Dog. Here we go. We're just walking along the path now that winds through St Peter's graveyard, looking at ancestors and people who've lived in the village in the past for hundreds and hundreds of years. Seems so evocative when we're celebrating our Queen who has reigned for 70 years. It's amazing. Anyway, if you'd like to know more about Barry's life, he has just released his book, Sitting on a Pin, which is a musical memoir. You can grab that through Amazon. And we'll just tell you a little bit more as we've only scraped the surface today. A few people to thank. I'd like to thank Jeff Farney, who um, and not only edited, but he also recorded this programme. And the rest of the Draycott Diaries team. And I hope we'll see all of you again in a month's time. So stay safe out there. And thank you for listening.